Johnny, do you want to go to an ice cream social? Yeah, I'd love to. Great, let's go. It's another Ice Cream Social episode sitting across from me, Paul Mattingly. Across from me, it's Mr. Matt Donnelly. And we have a very special guest here in the studio. Paul Shortino is here. Paul, welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, <laughs> I'm so glad. We can, uh, uh, we can adjust your mic stand a little bit if you want. Oh, it's all good. I'm, I'm, just I'm sure fine. you've adjusted one before. Yeah, that's what my girlfriend or my ex-wife <laughs> used to say. Let me check out your mic. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, you were uh, in a bunch of bands. Yes. Uh, Quiet Riot being a big one. Uh, Bad Boys, The Cut, Rough Cut, um, King Cobra. And all this through uh, one decade. Yes, and also, actually, there's a few little things that um, I actually did a record when I was 17 uh, with um, Snuff Garrett, who produced uh, Sonny and Cher, Liza Minnelli, and all these people. And uh, I was doing an interview with a guy on the East Coast when we uh, released the first King Cobra record, which was about two and a half years ago. And uh, he says, I got your first single. And I never really talk about it. It's a called, song called Follow Me. Follow me from when you were 17 years old? 17 years old. It wow. was uh, on Billboard with a Bullet. I did it with Mickey Dolan's sister, Coco. Whoa. And uh, then Vicki Lawrence came out with a song, That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the night they hung an innocent man, and they just knocked me right off the chart. <laughs> oh. she, she was on the same label, so they kind of just shelved me. And I hadn't seen one of these records, I tell you, you know, for 30 some maybe 40 years and uh had you forgotten I, about it well yeah i've forgotten about it and uh i gave all of them away and i didn't really have any of them this guy sent me uh sent me the 45 and then another guy uh who has a uh a uh, actually a radio show was playing it off of an mp3 so i said hey because i can't I don't know. When you say an actual radio show, is that a dig on us for having a podcast? No, 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 I I just, uh, (laughs) he probably had the same kind of thing we're doing today, but you know, this is a new age and everything is uh, done differently than back in the the old days. Well, that's the thing. So at 17, did you already know you wanted to be a a singer? Oh, I knew that when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Wow. How old old are you there? Uh, I was probably 13, 14. 13, 14. No, I was probably about 12. Okay. And also, yeah. you get a fire, and you, you want to be a singer. Uh, my mom was a singer, so I was singing stuff when I was five or six, like uh, "Won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home?" <laughs> you know, and "Birth of the Blues" and all of these, uh, you know, uh, Tony Bennett stuff. You know, I okay. want to be around. So I grew up with that kind of stuff. From my mom's side of the family and on my dad's side of the family, I was singing, you know, uh, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a morning. So I was raised in my, uh, my dad didn't really sing, but he loved music. And uh, my mother, uh, her whole side of the family did vaudeville and all kinds of stuff. Really? So your mom was like a real entertainer type? Yes, she was a real entertainer. And uh, all of her aunts and uncles played instruments. And my first instrument was a ukulele, and I, you know, I thought it was a good. So, how close of a stereotypical Italian family were you? Um, not the stereotype, but we were uh, uh, back east when before we moved to California. Uh, 
when I was like 13, 14 years old, uh, very close knit okay. Italian family and my mom's family moved to, uh, California. So brothers and sisters, I have, uh, two brothers, one gone uh, and, uh, and, uh, one sister. Uh, they, they sing as well. Uh, yes, actually, I should have put the uh, Shortino family uh, together, and we would have had uh, you know some with the some Partridge family and the uh, <laughs> Osmonds and the DeFranco family. You know, we would have been right up there with them. Uh, Look my, at your tattoos and jewelry. I think I would be more into what you guys would have put out than, than yeah. the Partridges. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Different colors on that bus. It'd be a lot more interesting. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they didn't really get into it. Uh, like I did, I, it was my passion. Now, seventeen, you got a hit. It hits Billboard charts. I mean, do you think you're going to break? Is are you are you pumped? Oh, I'm I'm so pumped, and I go out with my father, and um, at just at that time, uh, uh, pot was a felony, and I had somebody else's jacket on, and we went out. Uh, Look, uh, Paul, you're not talking to your parents. You can tell us it was your oh, own no, jacket. No, <laughs> you can no tell it, us it actually it wasn't my jacket. jacket. It was a girlfriend's jacket. But, okay. Oh, uh, my dad and I had been. Hitting, uh, hanging out with uh, his uh, cousin. Okay. And he uh, he was a bookie, and uh, he had some bars in Compton area. Okay. In Los Angeles, and uh, after we got done partying all night and drink, I was drinking, and I was under the age. You know, I was like only seventeen, and yeah. so I'm driving my dad's caddy. And the so uh, you were drinking underage, but of the two of you, you were the one considered more sober. So right, you drove. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So we get pulled over. Your dad and wants to. And the cops pull me out, ask <laughs> me for my license, and they can't. And I, I left my license at a, uh, at a rehearsal earlier. That oh, I had yeah. a rehearsal earlier, and I left my license with my my coat, and I took somebody else's coat. <clears throat> and so all night I was stuffing napkins in the top pockets of this jean jacket, and uh, when the police pulled us over and had us get out they started going through my pockets illegally actually and sure uh, they pulled out a napkin they went aha what's this and pulls out weed and my dad they had to bring more cops from my dad killing me oh wow <laughs> dad wanted to beat so wait butt. so so you were your dad was cool with drinking with you underage and having you drive but he was not cool with you smoking pot right well because it <laughs> there's was a illegal. line there's a line. It was illegal. Oh, it was legal. still illegal to drink, but when you're in Ita- you know, Italian families, right. you know, we we drink wine when we're little kids at at the dinner table. You know, okay. it's, it's like milk for Italians. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, to make a long story. That explains here, the I, smooth I went olive to, skin. I went to I went to uh, jail, and I okay. thought that's the end of my career. You oh know? man! Because back then, and it was in the seventies. Right back then, you know, it was like. It was a big deal. Yeah. You know, if you got caught doing anything, it was the end of your career. They were going to invest in you. Exactly. So I got out, and uh, then, like I said, Vicki Lawrence came out with the Knights of Light, went out in Georgia, and bada-bing, bada-boom, I got knocked off the charts. And then from that point on, uh, I just stayed in music and kind of bumped around Los Angeles until uh, I eventually uh, ran into uh, Ronnie James Dio, who... uh, took us under his wing and uh rough cut was born and this is just 81 81 you're putting out stuff with rough cut yeah yeah uh ronnie james dio took you under his wing yes he took us into the studio uh jake jakey lee uh well jake williams was playing guitar we were actually had a band Uh, i was doing a lot of gigging around uh california and bars and stuff with a band called legend and then uh, gigging just singing uh, no, uh, with a band and, you know, 
doing do you play inst- do a lot yeah, of instruments yeah i played a lot of different instruments i played trumpet trombone uh bass guitar and uh, paul plays the rusty trombone I yes. sure do. <laughs> so now, do you think that your experience of having gone through that little rough patch, uh, once you met Ronnie James Dio at that point, were you more ready to go a little bit of a harder edge, a little experiment with this different sounding music for the time? Was that- well, actually, I had been, um, my family had re- actually built two recording studios. So we were into the recording business of some sort, you know, and, uh, I was doing a lot of recording in and out of the studio at that time. So you were experimenting See, is, with your own sound already? Yes. Okay. This is it. Like, you know, I know it sounds strange, but my wife is a musical theater, but her whole family's a musical theater. So when she talks about stuff, the, the way you're talking about it, you're not like just some little kid with a dream. Like, you understand, it seems like you understand the record business, and you're oh, just yeah. trying to figure out, you were navigating it. From the jump off. From the jump. Going, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 30s, actually, until... Uh, um, I met Ronnie. Yeah. And um, uh, then we had a band at the time called Magic. And um, I had uh, a friend that was basically uh, a director for Charlie's Angels. And his father was the director for Route 66. Okay. His brother was an assistant director for Happy Days. So he took me under his wing as a manager with another guy. And they were managing this band Magic that we had together. And then I met Ronnie and Wendy Dio, but I had actually met Wendy Dio years before she married Ronnie because she married a good friend of mine, and he was in a band called Mama Lion. Okay. And this is going back into probably the very early 70s, right? right? Okay. And uh, he met Wendy, uh, and she was dating Ann Pace, and uh, then I met uh, Rick Gaxiola was his name, she married Rick. They moved to Eagle Rock, California, and I met Wendy there uh, when she was married to um, <clears throat> Rick Gaxiola. And uh, at that time, I was actually, when I met Wendy, I was jamming with Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy and uh, Bobby Benberg okay. from Supertramp. They're brother-in-laws. Oh, wow. Because... Uh, Bobby married Scott's sister, so he went to Brit. He went to Britain. He it's went- just like oh, giant club that like. Oh, it's interesting. He went. They to all Britain. know each other. Yeah. They all marrying each other. And, well, he went to Britain, and yeah. then he asked Scott to come over there, and then he got Scott and in, eventually into Thin Lizzy, and uh, and then years had went by, and then uh, uh, we hooked up. Uh, with Ronnie and Wendy Dio. And uh, we went out to dinner one night, and I'm looking at Wendy, and I'm going, I've met you before. And um, then we started going and, through. And you both uh, don't want to admit why. Well, no, just no. To figure out. <laughs> no, she, she. You ever uh, been in a situation where, like, as soon as you remember why you recognize them, you're like, I wish I didn't say I recognize them. <laughs> I wish no, I just it wasn't didn't. anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, we, you know, we actually remembered where we met okay. the first time. And uh, and Ronnie and I, we just hit it off. And uh, then he took us into the studio and uh, actually did some demos. And we actually won some uh, events in uh, Los Angeles, Rock to Riches. Uh. Right. So this is the thing, right? So, so like now you're talking about like modern times changing. I think one of the hardest, I think in terms of what technology made things more, most difficult for has to be musicians. Like I feel like here you got to meet somebody. Here there were contests. There were, you know 
band battles or all kinds of stuff that were happening. And even though it seems kind of from an outsider, maybe it seems like a little crazy that you just kind of by being in Los Angeles and getting to meet the people you had to meet. Uh, but still, it's kind of like at least there was a, an approach, right? So if Dio wants to bring you in the studio and make demos, there wasn't not everyone could bring you into a studio and make a demo. Now everyone can make a make a demo, right? Oh yeah. Well, actually, he took us into uh, my family's studio because I had the. Uh, oh, so you had the, you had the studio. I had the studio, so he took us into uh, my family's studio when it was you know late at night, and but just taking us under his, our wing and kind of giving us some direction. Like, do you think you could do it, like, looking back now, if you were 17 now, do you think you would stick with, would you think you would get into music? Do you think you would know how to how to figure it out like you did then? Um, oh, I know a lot more now than I did then. I right. think uh, really all you have to do in the world right now is uh, if you believe in what you want to do, you just have to put it up on a board. Right. Believe <laughs> it. No, seriously. Yeah. It's a law of attraction. Yeah. And you if, know, if, because it's, if it's quality stuff and if you're coming from a place of passion. Yeah. And a place to help others help others. Like I put up on my board that I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to have a show in Las Vegas after after watching The Secret and reading The Power by Rhonda Byrne. And then because okay. uh, the power in, in, in the world is love and magic is gratitude. And since I've learned that in the last three years of my life, my life has changed immensely for uh, in a positive way, opposed to struggling all the years that I struggled. Because I don't, you don't really need a plan in anything that you do. You just have to really believe in what you're doing and then put it out there, and it will manifest as long as you believe it. And you put it up there, and you see it every day and believe it. So you conceived a rock vault three years ago? No, I... Uh, I actually just said I wanted to have a show here in Las Vegas, and the next thing I know, I was asked to opportunities be a, present themselves. Be be part of the this show, and the next thing I know, the my face is on buses and billboards. You know? Well, they're like I mean, all people talk about on that show is you. So yeah, uh, that's the way. So it's, it's fortuitous, and you both read, must have read the secret. Then I guess I mean, uh, yeah, it's a definitely a, no. The a secret good combo. Uh, is ask, believe, and you will receive, and the power is love. Uh, when we were shooting this um, this this sizzle or for the uh, uh, rock vault, yeah. So if everybody listening, the rock vault is a show over here in uh, LVH. It was the Westgate. At the Westgate, me and my mouth, <laughs> you idiots. Yeah, the Westgate is the new uh, the new hotel where they're at, and it's a fantastic classic rock raiding cavalcade. Rock. Yeah, raiding the rock vault. And um, so they, with real rock stars doing classic rock and roll music. Yeah, yeah. But what was interesting is, is that I had some people that turned me on to these books. And the next thing I knew, my whole life had just changed around. And yeah. It was amazing how it changed so quickly. And like I said, when I was reading The Power, when we did the sizzle for at the Mayan Theater, when the show first opened up, we had a 40, we had a, it was two hours and 40 minutes long with an intermission. And we filmed it at the Mayan Theater in Los Angeles. Well, my mother was having a heart surgery while we were doing this, and I had to be in downtown L.A. from Valencia, which is no way at 9 o'clock in the morning you're going to get there in 30 minutes. So I was on the road going, I'm loving my Cadillac. I'm loving the traffic. I'm loving the guy who just cut me off. Uh, you know, I'm loving the gridlock, and all of a sudden I got there 10 minutes early. Wow. So there's something to say about the... Law of attraction. It's all sure. about attitude. Yep. Sure. Now, uh, let's 
back up a little bit, and uh, basically, like when you start hitting with these with these bands in the eighties, we say rough cut hits. Right. Well, we get a we get a record deal with Warner Brothers. And yeah. Our, our first gig is actually after we finish the record was at the Forum, and uh, I remember seeing Led Zeppelin there when I was like in my teens, and said, "I want to be signed to Warner Brothers." You know, and I really want to do a show here someday at, at, at the forum. And I'm going, my dreams are come true, you know. Well, that's just the first step because then when they put the record out, they stick you out on the road. You got a per diem. You're busting your butt and you're paying for the bus. You're paying for all the guys who roadie for you. And you you're also home, paying back studio time, right? And you're paying back. Yeah. You're paying back your advance. Yeah. And you get home and you open your pockets and it's almost like you've been to Vegas. You know, <laughs> you've just gambled away your money. It's the hardest thing about when you hear bands, you, when you realize what, what making it means, it's really difficult because there's not like, like if you make it as an actor and you book a sitcom, you don't, you're not being paid in advance. You know no. what I mean? Right. And then if the show makes money back in advertising, you get to pay back the studio. Like, right. And your sitcom is not a 17-city tour. Right. right. And, and you don't have to like, pick, up, pick up the whole studio and move it every week. Well, like that's why all days. these actors want sitcoms right. now. Yeah. Back in the 50s, it was degrading to have a sitcom. Mm-hmm. In fact, Superman, oh, right. uh, Steve Reeves, uh, actually killed himself because he couldn't get out of that out of television, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But now it's like every actor wants George to be on Reed, TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. want to sit down and chill. Alec Baldwin sits down, gets a sitcom, and yep. he's, yep. he's happy as happy as anything. So no, now, what I mean to say is like, like, but like when when bands imagine making it, what they're imagining is being basically leaned on by a loan shark. That's <laughs> success. Well, I think really too. Uh, you know, like Janis Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix, they all died broke. Right. They all were broke. What the studios did was let you have whatever you want. You want a house, you want a car, whatever you want, they just gave it to you. And you didn't know that they were just racking it up. But the record companies didn't know when the internet came in how it was going to change their scene. Right. You know what I mean? So after time, that's, you know, the show's now all about the eyes through a roadie and what, you know, big business made out of rock and roll and music. You know, they didn't realize it was going to become such a big business like it ended up being, you know? And uh, so a lot of these bands are, are broke when they, they pass away or, or, you know, I mean, like uh, some of the bands that are still touring, they're touring. Why are they still touring? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. They got bills to pay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You see they Tower get... of Power playing, playing somewhere and you're like, oh, they, Tower of Power got some, got some bills. Yep. <laughs> so when you're first touring, uh, when you have this record contract, but you have a tour and, and, uh, Talk to me about your first time hitting the road. Like, what was it like to be on the road? Did you? Enjoy well, we were yourself? actually going. At, we went out with Ronnie James. Uh, no, actually, our first with Rough Cut. Our first tour was with Crocus and Accept, mm-hmm. and we had a bus with a Marine ex Marine driver on it, oh, and uh, to keep everybody in line. And uh, <laughs> uh, so it was. You like know what? A- I was actually uh, more mature than a lot of the uh, other guys in the band because I, I was older. You know, okay. getting into the situation, and you also kind of seem to come up in the business, so I'm sure you heard. Well, yeah, a lot of stories. And, but uh, you know what? The reason the Dio's took me under their wing is because I, w- I always, you know, believed in everybody, and so I would sign anything. So, okay, I, it took me a lot of cash to get out of some of the contracts that I got myself <laughs> into, because you know, you you're an artist, and you go, you know, they. They come to you and go, I'm going to make you a huge star, you know. And and, take people at their word. And yeah. you go, okay, because that's what you want more than anything. And you don't right. care what you got to do to get there. But uh, there's to be a lot 
to uh, a lot to be said about that because really you don't have to do any of that yeah. if you really believe in what you're doing and you put it out there it'll come back to you so it's been a struggle uh through the two albums with rough cut and then uh we were on the road in J- japan and uh before we did that we actually did this thing with ronnie james dio and all these uh rock gods i would say it's called we're stars and it came out around the same time as Michael Jackson's We Are the World. Ah. Except it was the heavy metal genre of people doing a song. And we had George Lynch. We had uh, Ted Nugent, Carmine Apice, uh, the guy, the guitar players from Iron Maiden, uh, Vince Neil, Blackie Lawless. Uh, a lot of people, uh, Jeff Tate and I uh, were uh, fortunate to sing certain lines Don Dawkin Kevin DeBro from Quiet Riot Carlos Frankie Benelli played on the track along with Vinny Apice just an amazing amount of talent uh, that they actually put together to put out a project that would raise money and awareness for the children who were dying in Africa and basically a lot of the uh, rice that we raised I'm sure just rotted on the the, uh, docks because of of you know, yeah, government officials in other countries, you know. But if you raise money, then you did more than We Are the World. Yeah. <laughs> we Are the World just raised awareness, and that, and, and, and yeah. that was, uh, and then a lot of things followed, but not directly. So I got to meet the Quiet Riot guys in there, and then all of a sudden we were touring. And um, so was Quiet Riot a band before you joined them? Uh, yes. Okay. And then yeah, you it was got- Kevin DeBro was in the band, and he and the band was called DeBro, and then it, before that it was uh, Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes. Okay. And Kelly Garney. And then that broke up when uh, Randy joined Ozzy. Then... Why is it so hard to keep bands together at this time? It seems like everyone's jumping ship to different bands. A lot of people are, like you said, signing contracts. What goes down that, that people have to jump ship all the time? Uh, I, think they're too con- I think they're too concerned in the money part of it when they should be more concerned in the creative part of it. Mm. Okay. So and, people just feel like they're getting screwed and they just want to jump ship. Uh, well, not that they're getting screwed, but, you know, there might be a better opportunity. You know, I know a lot of guys that have just went from band to band to band to band to band and made really good money, but they're still going from band to band to band. If they would have stuck it out with like a band, you know, like Aerosmith, you know, right. I mean? sure. And, you know, uh, some of the there. bands that are still together and hanging in there, uh, it's because... You know, and then the bands that have gotten back together that hate each other get out, get back together to go out and tour. Yeah. Right. You know, right, right, right. So, um, within that- I, I found out in my life that it's just the law of uh, the the law of attraction and the least uh, the law of being just the, re- the 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 path of least resistance. Yeah. Yeah. If you take that path and you just get along with everybody and don't take everything so seriously in. Uh, don't be too thin skin. You'll get a, get a lot further in life. So you, during that time, what was your most uh, creative, creatively rewarding experience? Where did you find yourself feeling like, okay, this is a place where I can be creative and really, you know, always in the studio, just, just in the studio, anytime always you're in the, in the studio, studio, that's yeah. when you really feel like you're shining. Uh, yeah, because then you can really hone into what you're doing. And I have a studio in the house. So when we did the King Cobra records and a lot of solo stuff I did, it was, uh, I ended up going to school, learning how to become an engineer. And um, was that out of uh, survival or passion? Uh, more or less, just uh, actually changing 
direction in my career right. at that time. I just figured, well, you know what? Maybe I'm just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new world out there with the grunge and everything else at mm-hmm. that time. So maybe I need to switch direction and what I'm doing and, and go on to uh, maybe being a producer. Right. And sure. look for young talent. And then we found this great young talent. And the kid was on a uh, soap opera as well, uh, Guiding Light, I think it was. And um, did some movies and very talented kid. Well, the band broke up after we had him on billboard with 44 with a bullet and Shit. spending money when I said, you know what? I'm done doing that now. I'm going back to doing my own thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to spend money on somebody else's spend career. That's what I was going to say. So, so you, you, you ended up on both sides of the equation. You were, you were oh. both working as a, a guy who wanted to make it and working with the record company, and then you flipped the other side. And started a musical so company called, production company called Music Works Entertainment. And then I imagine also that even with your solo projects, you're still on the other side of the equation in terms of you're bringing people into work under your name, you're yep. bringing people under, under your project. Uh, was there... The cheapest thing still in the world is a musician. <laughs> okay, okay. Unfortunately, right. it's, yeah. a sad, it's a sad thing. People still make 50 bucks a night, 100 bucks a night yeah. or for a session. Why do, why do you think that is? Um, you know, I really don't I really can't tell you why it is. Maybe because there's just so many of people that are hungry. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, like the casinos now, it used to be all about the music and, you know, a long time ago. And now, the lounges it's, all, and, and now it's all about, you know. Headliners. No, just it's about the gambling. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Show can't be ninety minutes long. Um, no more than ninety minutes long because mm-hmm. we're losing this much money. It's all yeah. about dollars and cents, unfortunately. Yeah, this town was uh, really pretty much one of the only places that did really have a strong respect and understanding for musical acts, and they really did promote them and put them out there well, heavily. When the mob the had that, when yeah, yeah, exactly. So for a time there, it was kind of a golden age for performers here, and musicians were treated very respectfully. My wife's uh, grandfather was an architect for Ben Siegel. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he did the Mint down here when mm-hmm. it was the Mint. Uh, there's a He did a lot of stuff here in town, and uh, my wife's actually thinking about putting a book out of, of pictures of her grandfather in, the, in in Las Vegas building from the scratch. Yeah, some of that history. That's interesting stuff. So when you said you wanted a show in Vegas, uh, or wanted to do a show in Vegas, you were not in Vegas at the time? No, I was in Vegas. Oh, okay. I was, I've been here for eight years, and uh, I just started reading this stuff. I, I saw The Secret, and I go, wow, and I met at Marie Salchak's uh, house. Uh, he called me up one night and asked me and my wife to come over for some wine, and we met these uh, friends of ours called the Goldens and um, they have a greeting card called Golden Greetings and they have a program where you send cards out to people and you wish them good things and the company does that for you so if you have family that are birthdays they send out a nice card and you can create it yourself on your computer and then it goes through them and they send out cards with brownies or cards with uh, candy apples or unbelievable and uh, Mm. So he, this show brought to you by Golden Greetings. Yeah, and they <laughs> turned me on to uh, The Power. And when I read The Power, that everything around us is all about love. Everything's made with love. Uh, that's when I started writing things down. And it, the first uh, test I, 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 I tested it was simply, I want this parking spot <laughs> in front of 
the casino yeah. or we're going out to dinner, wherever. And I visualized it, and there it was. Sure enough. We, as humans, get so lost in um, uh, the cycle of, of life that we for, we give up on our imaginations. Uh, we only really – we should always thank the universe in threes because even the – mathematical binary systems in threes the trinity is in threes sure. so uh when you think i'm i'm not uh, i was raised a catholic but i'm not a i'm not a uh, practicing catholic i'm more of a spiritual person mm. okay i believe in spirituality i think religion is a controlling factor okay and i think that's how they they with religion they get to control masses of people right yeah now. well with with the uh, the threes out there i think matt and i can certainly relate the, the comedy rule of threes it was definitely yeah rule of threes in comedy for sure that's yeah. uh you know we're we're improvisers and that's our thing and and we i think i feel a certain kinship at least from myself uh with the the struggling musician uh matt and i are out there on the hustle at the bucket show uh every wednesday night just doing our thing right uh you know trying to make a living too and uh it just you know not for any kind of crazy money at all you know, it's whatever people will donate for us, but uh, you know, yeah, it's tough. I mean, the musician's cheap, a comedian's cheap. I, I think it's it's, it's well, a supply and demand thing. I think everybody, exactly like you were saying before, everybody's of, hungry for it. A lot, a lot of people want to be and actors bet, and musicians. So, and I bet uh, you can relate, Paul, in that saying that like uh, there's a lot of people who want it. There's a lot of varying skill, and sometimes the people at the top don't know how to figure out who has the skill. Well, it's interesting. Is some of the there's some really crazy talented people in this town that deserve to be on top of the world. Frankie Marino is one of them, uh, who's an incredible talented guy. And he's as close to on top of the world as he can. He plays in the stratosphere. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's doing his best. <laughs> yeah. But altitude uh, perspective, he but has I done. But I mean, it. as far as you know, being a Michael Bublé or mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. Wh- wherever his direction is, um, the problem with I think the entertainment business to today is that. Uh, people don't really have to have talent. Right. They can go in and they can tune this stuff and they can, you know, you can make on your on your iPad or on your iPhone, you can go to GarageBand and you don't even need to play an instrument and you can go, you can buy programs that you can write songs without even having any talent. You just need to have computer skills. So I think that um, So you're saying the sound is, guy is the most important person. Uh, that's, that's what you're. That's what you're getting at. Uh, well, it could be. Could be. Could be. You know, sound guy's got to know how to cut and paste. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, but uh, you know, I think back. Uh, you know, you look back in, in early talent, and it was uh, when you went in there, they had to know their stuff, and they cut it. It was two tracks, stereo tracks. Then it went to four tracks. The Beatles did. Uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour on a four track. Right. Then we went to multi-tracks. Then now you can just punch in line for line and get your attitude. But at one time when some of the old artists, you know, they went in there, they had to have their, they had to have the talent. They had to have the chops and they had right. to know the song. Yeah, it's one take the whole way through exactly. and that's it. You get one shot. And nowadays everybody's making records in their bedroom, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a pros and cons to what's going on sure. in our in our society, but sure. I think we've become a disposable society. Yeah. Well, part uh, of that, I guess, there there's no cost for tape anymore. You know, I mean, the, well, yeah, you know, you're, you just there's get, also less ownership of your music. Yep, like I go on to music services and I get my songs. I don't buy albums. No, no, we're back to actually to forty fives. Yeah, right. You know, you go to iTunes and Maybe buy a single. Up a single. Mm-hmm. You know, but also the society has become very fickle. You know, fans at one time when they couldn't see their artist, 
they want to see their artists. Right. You know, so I think, I think, I do think video did kill the radio star. Right. Because, uh, when I saw Christopher Cross get all of his Grammys, I never expected Christopher Cross, the voice that coming out of him looked like the gentleman he did. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think that might have hindered his career as well because everybody has their own vision of what they're hearing over the over the radio. And I grew up when radio was, uh, you're hearing Frank Sinatra and on AM radio and Hendrix, the next song, you know? So, yeah, yeah. So things have changed immensely in our society. We have put people out of work because it's cheaper to buy a TV than to have a guy come in and fix your TV. When I was younger, we had a TV repairman that would right. come to the house. Now, you know, your TV breaks, anything breaks because we're buying everything from China. You know, it's just a disposable society. That goes back to directly to uh, the interview we did with uh, Rick and Kelly Dale. Oh, yeah. Um, that is his whole thing. Do you watch American uh, Restoration? You ever mm -hmm. seen that show? So we, got, we had uh, Rick Dale on the show a while back, and that's exactly what he spoke to, that, uh, you know, our society has kind of lost touch with fixing things that we've had and having things that are constructed in a way so they can be repaired. Absolutely. Yeah, so... They're uh, making things now that we can't work on them. Yeah, you Cars can't. or computers. No, couldn't couldn't possibly, know? yeah. Uh, but at one time, we were the leading... Uh, we were the leading country in the world in mm -hmm. cars and everything. You watch a 70s movie, you'll be you're lucky to see a few VWs and, uh, you know, a Mercedes here and there. But now you're lucky to see a, an American car yeah. on the street. Let's. I want to switch. I want to change subjects. I want to talk about Spinal Tap. I want to make sure we get this in. This is important because <laughs> this. <laughs> this for is Paul important. and I as comedians. There's, there's, there's there life, are fewer important movies than life Spinal shaping. Tap. Well, I mean, and it was it was huge. It was yeah. huge. It was it was the first mockumentary, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, improvised dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all ad lib. Yeah. The whole uh, movie was. Uh, they had a. a uh, a skeleton of a script and everybody just had the yeah. so talk to me about how did you get involved with that well actually uh, Rough Cut was playing the troubadour okay and Jake was in the band at the time and um, the people from Spinal Tap the casting people saw a picture of us in the uh, magazine so they came down to the show and asked us to show up the next day and do some interviews and they were half I think they were halfway through the film okay and um did you understand the type of movie that you were in, or you're just taking no, the gig? Just took the gig. Okay. So I actually show up, and I showed up in white leather. I showed up in the outfit, and they went, well, that's Duke fame. I showed up before anybody else did that was supposed to be there. I was the early bird. <laughs> <laughs> like I you said, you are more mature than the other rock and And I showed up dressed for right, the part. Ready. You know, that's, that's, that's part of it right there. Yeah. You know, casting said we don't even have to dress him. He's dressed. So... Uh, I showed up, got the gig, and... When they said you're Duke fame, what did that mean to you? Did you understand what they were saying? Well, I didn't know who I was until, um, actually, I showed up. It was actually in uh, Burbank, California at the Holiday Inn where we filmed that scene. Okay. And um, I'm sitting there with Wendy Dio, and this other girl that was on my arm was actually, uh, at the time, had just broke up with Jackson Brown, and Daryl Hannah was dating uh, Jackson Brown. So... Uh, here I'm sitting with two women so she's on the who are rock, you know, been with rock people, and, and Rough Cut hadn't been signed yet. So I'm okay. not a, no rock star. So, um, oh, so you're psyched just to be in the room with those two ladies? Yeah. yeah. Not to mention that, uh, and I'm sitting there going, you know, these guys are having a bad hair day, 
and I didn't know they were having wigs. Ah. <laughs> so we broke for lunch. I hadn't did my part yet, and I'm sitting next to Rob Reiner, and, and right across from me is Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, Michael mm-hmm. McKeon, and Rick Parnell, the drummer. <clears throat> and they all, one guy's bald, and the other guy's hairs are short, short and I'm going, you know, you guys look just like the, uh, the guys that, they're having a bad hair day out there. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, ah, oh, no, that's us. And Rob, I, at the time, I was trying to sell Rob Reiner, you know, rough cut material. But they said we have all, all the material written for the, <laughs> for the movie. So, um, you know, I was always, you know, trying to Just find angling, some, yeah. 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 some yeah. kind of angle somewhere. On the hustle, baby. I would have been concentrating on uh, Jackson Brown's ex-girlfriend, but you... Uh, <laughs> You were concentrating on So the, we did the music. shoot, and I didn't know, you know. Um, I said a few lines, and um, I got my SAG card out of it. Ha! Awesome. Which was good. And uh, during this period, before I met the Dio's and everything, I was on the dating game in the gong show. Twice. Okay. Oh, really? What did you yeah. do on the gong show? Yeah. Uh, I uh, did a thing with uh, a buddy of mine called Bob Sorensen. It was Sorensen and Shortino, and we did. He... Don't love you in duet, you know, in yeah. uh, harmonies like a Righteous Brothers kind of mm-hmm. thing. And uh, are you a little bit uh, kind of challenging your mom, the kind of more of the vaudevillian uh, kind of entertainer approach there? Uh, well, it, we we actually were in jumpsuits and we were uh, we were doing a, a a James Taylor tune, you know. Okay. So, uh, no, I, it was you know. Anything to do to get on. And when I did the dating game, it was when my record could come out uh, on Bell Records. So they had put put us on, uh, you know, any any kind of television. So Jim Lang was the host then. And and I'd like to get some footage of that. It was pretty funny. Did you make oh, it through the gong? Great. Did you? Did you? Uh, we didn't get gong. That's awesome. We got beat. Uh, uh. The first kid, uh, uh, actually, who was performing brought their whole school in. And so they judged by the audience and right. so they yeah. we were we were beat so what was the other show you said you were on the dating game dating game <laughs> how did that go for you that went really good a professional uh, uh, baseball player was one of the guys in the green room and uh, the other guy had been on there three times prior and she ended <laughs> up taking him and uh, my I actually talked to her more than anybody um, and she had asked me this question so if you were to invite me over for dinner uh, to your house, what would we have? And I said, well, I'd make you a nice Italian dinner. And she says, well, what would I expect out of you? And my, then I had hair a little longer than it is now. And I go, <laughs> well, it would be like Cousin It, Cousin it from the Adams Family feeding you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's what blew it for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> Paul and I have uh, definitely let jokes ruin uh, a good chemistry in our past. So Absolutely. We totally relate. By the you were doing greater good there. You are right. doing making better television and a more exciting story. I can barely recall the stammering idiot jokes I made to my wife while I was trying to talk to her for the first time. Just, something about a fun noodle. That's all I remember. Oh, it was really she bad. She was a prize fighter's daughter, but you should have seen her box. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was Quiet Riot. You're... Like, now, how I got to Quiet Riot is that we all kind of met during that thing for yeah, the, the stars, stars thing. Uh-huh. So then Quiet Riot was touring in uh, Japan, and so was Rough Cut, and they were ahead of us. And for some reason, Kevin and the band parted. Okay. And when and Rough Cut 
and me and some of the members, we were, you know, we were not on the same wavelength musically. And um, so when I got back to L.A., um, they hit me up to see if I would be interested in joining the band. And uh, at that time, Rough Cut uh, was, got dropped from Warner Brothers on its second record. We actually lost our um, uh, A&R guy who went to Capitol, and then from there he went to Interscope, and now he's back to uh, Tom Wally. Now he's back to uh, uh, Warner Brothers, and he's the president of Warner Brothers. But oh, geez. Tom, Tom... Uh, he didn't bring you with him. Ted, no. <laughs> Teddy Templeman was the guy that signed Rough Cut. So okay. we were hoping that Teddy would produce the band, and he, he was in the middle of producing... Um, uh, Eric Clapton and L Lindsey Buckingham. So I heard of them. So basically, <laughs> when I uh, worked with Quiet Riot for about a year, and we worked on some material, and uh, then the news came out that I was replacing Kevin, and we did a uh, one. Now record. you don't have to audition or anything. They just offer you. Well, no, we actually spent time in the studio. See if you see like if we, vibe. Yeah, see if we worked out together. We all hit it off at uh, at the benefit, but. Are you are you nervous, or you just want to come in and tear to the roof off? Oh, I, I went in and tore the roof off. Nice. You didn't give a shit. No. <laughs> uh, now, did you do? Did you write the songs, or did they have the songs written? Uh, actually, I wrote majority of the material on that record, but we, we agreed to split it up equally. When yeah. you when you write, uh, does it come to you fast, or do you do you do you comb over songs? Some songs just you can write like that just with the snap of a finger. Some songs, if, if you're collaborating with someone, you might have to... Right now, it's it's great because with uh, computers, you can take somebody's idea and rearrange it. Right. Uh, sometimes when somebody comes with you with an idea, a guitar player, it's a riff, and they go, this is a song. Well, it's not a song until there's a melody and lyrics, <laughs> right. really, you know? Right. So, you can't copyright a riff. You can't copyright a card, a chord chart. So okay. it really comes down to melody and lyrics. But that still will come from because you know you you the three the same three chords that are Louie Louie uh, can be Hang on Sloopy. You know what I mean? Right. I mean you know so it's just different melodies. So uh, do you when you write do you do you think of words first? Do you, do you hear uh, melody first or? How, how does well, it... if I write a song, sometimes I'll just uh, I have I'll have an idea of what I want to write about. A okay, cl a cliche is usually a good thing. Yeah, some good, <laughs> some good, a lot of great songs. A lyrical are, hook. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I want to hold your hand. You know, mm -hmm. right? So that okay, that's right about I want well, how I want to hold your hand. You know, that's the be as the be just giving an example for the sure. Beatle. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so. It all depends. And when you're getting some material from someone else, and then you have to kind of think of where the direction of the music is. So uh, what would I write about? What would fit this? Is this something heavy, dark? Is it something light, pretty? You know, it all depends on the direction of the music and uh, um, who you're collaborating with. Do you still actively write now? Oh, always. Yeah. Always, always. Um, I'm... Actually, got to do a track for this Italian um, guitarist, okay. Uh, who's got a lot of uh, other people on um, on his la on his label that he's doing with. I just did a, th uh, a song with a band in um, in Spain called Mago Diaz, and they're um, they're heavy metal Celtic. 
Oh, that sounds Whoa. awesome. Huh. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's it's really What's her name? Marco Ma- Mago M A G O Mago D Oz D Oz. Now, Mago and so Diaz. you still write stuff, but now you give that or not give, but you work with other people. You kind of oh, yeah, you move your stuff to other bands. Yes. Do you still want to do solo stuff or is Oh this... yeah, I uh, I I'm I'm actually wanting to do my favorite songs, whether they're my songs uh, or my favorite songs by other I, artists. Uh, other artists. So this is going to be kind of like a metal songbook, as it were. Uh, yeah, it could probably be. It might even be something like uh, "At Last." Right. So you're gonna you're gonna just come along. Just whole... your favorite song, at a at a James. At a James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Run the whole gamut there. Okay, yeah. cool. So it might you know it might just be what. I like, you know what I mean. Uh, my favorite stuff. What, what, what are some? What are some others? So we know at last, at a James. What's somebody? Uh, some I want to be around to pick up the pieces when somebody breaks your heart. Mm. So you, little little Tony Bennett. I was gonna say you still have a little Frank bit of your, Sinatra. Your father's heart is still uh, still beats in you, I guess. You oh little, well, you know, great songs are great songs. Yeah, they'll be around forever. Generation are, after generation. Are there any songs you like that you're most like embarrassed to tell your friends that you like? Uh, I can give an example for you. Yeah, go ahead. I uh, I like uh, Seal records. You're a big Seal fan. I that's I don't want to say I'm a big Seal like fan. the like the animal. Yeah, like I like hearing the noises of seals. No, the actual Heidi <laughs> right. Klum's ex husband. Yeah, like it's not even about like it's not even about like uh, that's what it sounds like to most people. I think. Um, <laughs> I just his his first two albums, the first two three albums, like uh, they're the, the you could tell like he just had a good producer, and I really oh, just like the artist seal. Yeah, yes. the artist seal. I just it's feel great. like I feel like they came out so clean, like whatever that whatever they're going for. I feel like they nailed it. It is like a very it's a sharp, very sound. sharp, clean, yes, record sound that I don't. Yeah, that that contrasts to most of my musical taste. Okay, and I'm embarrassed to tell people that I own and sometimes play uh, music by Seal. <laughs> I love all kinds one. of music. I, I love too. everything. I I actually listen to spa music in my car because it kind of keeps me mellow. Oh wow! Just very, cool. just, that just would very be, like ambient. That would be a swing of, okay. and a miss of what do you think is playing at Paul Shortino's? Yeah, car. exactly. Right. Yeah. We would yeah. not you know, think spa. My music. wife sticks on ACDC, and I go, I can't handle that in the traffic. <laughs> 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 I need to be in my Zen world. Nice. Uh, Barbie Girl would be my uh, Barbie Girl. guilty pleasure. I oh. I adore that song. <laughs> uh, just love that song. Abba. Abba. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. What, what song? Like what riff comes to mind when you hear when you say Dancing Abba? Queen? Yeah. <laughs> Barry Manilow. You know. Oh, yeah. Sure. You know? He writes oh, the songs. Mandy. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Because you you're in the studio, so you know what it's like to nail something. So what you're referring to is times with these bands that kind of nailed something. They nailed well, something yeah, and you know, and and there were very great melodic stuff, you know. Yeah. So as you're writing, do you utilize an instrument at the same time? Are you coming up with the the, the musicality in your head? What comes well, first? You What's know, it? Is it just different each song? It's kinda? different each song, and and it's really interesting uh, because you know. Uh, here's a perfect example. George Harrison wrote My Sweet Lord, and then he was sued because uh, it was uh, doodle-lang, doodle-lang. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doodle-lang, right. doodle-lang. Yeah. She's so fine. Doodle-lang, doodle-lang. There it is. My Sweet Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as a writer, uh, you start writing something, and... Uh, you, well, don't, like, you, uh, don't, you know, you, you think it's original, but you... 
Yeah. Right. You're influenced. Yeah, well, you hear all that stuff all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. In, it's in you your know, head. It's, it's, it's seeds planted in there. So, you know, you just, uh, you go, wow, this sounds familiar. Something yeah, uh, sounds familiar. Brian uh, Wilson was incredibly paranoid uh, about um, uh, uh, Don't Worry Baby was completely ripped off from Be My Little Baby, which is yeah. which was produced by... Um, it was the guy a Motown? It was Gary. Uh, um, no, the guy. The guy that ended up. Uh, he pulled a gun on James Taylor. Famously. Oh, you're talking. You're talking about. Uh, oh, uh, I can't believe we're all blanking on his name. Specter. 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 Yes. Phil Specter. Phil Specter. Wall of Sound. There it is. He thought Phil Specter was going to hunt him down and, <laughs> and kill him. Kill he was, he was honestly he ruined very Ronnie Specter's life. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Terrible. Uh, uh, Eddie Money was the first guy to put her on a track. Right. Uh-huh. Hey, my little baby. Yeah. That was her voice on that song. Mm-hmm. Take me home tonight. Oh. I don't want to leave. It was the first time she'd really gotten her credit. Yeah. And he stopped her from being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if anybody oh, deserves it, she does. He deserves what he's got going on. Right. Paul McCartney went in and remixed to Let It Be because he wanted to get the wall of sound out of there. Yeah. You know? Uh, did you ever encounter him? Phil Spector, no. No. Good. No, but I ran. <laughs> You're alive to this day. Lucky. I, I, I actually ran into tell. Paul Lynn when I was about, I think it was 20, 21. <laughs> and and uh, on uh, Melrose Boulevard, there used to be a car wash there and a little, uh, it was an Orange Julius and it was open late. And I was, <laughs> it sounds funny, I was getting a hot dog and an Orange Julius. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, well, Lynn, Paul Lynn wanted my hot dog. <laughs> If you come back hey, for come seconds, on. we can talk. Yes, come on over here, sweetie. Have you seen Sam, me? My hot dog stands open really late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, I tripped out when I met him, and uh, I really tripped out that he wanted to take me home in his limo with his other boys. In there. Oh, said, boy. Well, I don't think uh, so. Okay. <laughs> I'm all good. Yeah. It's time to pay a price for fame. That was not the time. Yes. Right? Now, uh, are, were there any um, any misses? Anytime you thought you could, you were going to party up with a band, or did you ever walk away from a band that ended up hitting without you? Um, well, I parted from Rough Cut uh, to get into Quiet Riot. And right. And I parted from quiet riot and started bad boys because uh they just uh, it got too um political okay you know business yeah. and when i now to you me also, it's not all about business it's more about creativity but even though, the creativity like you're coming to a fully formed band to take over right so uh, creatively is that stifling because you're not necessarily you weren't part of the origin of the band or well, you actually the whole band kind of switched direction and went towards what that's what was really neat about joining the band is that uh when i was in rough cut we had so many different writers that they weren't really focusing on what's your best bet to make a hit record okay i watched the eagles don henley and glenn fry ran the eagles right well there's not probably a better voice in rock than don henley so when you got Don Henley singing, you know, one of these nights, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, sh- sh- uh, witchy woman, you know. I mean, some of the biggest hits were from Don Henley, you know, and he's got a great voice. So uh, you need to recognize those guys write songs 
that are perfect for the right singer in their band. Right. Okay. We, as Rough Cut, met Neil Kernan in New York, and Neil was going to produce the second record, not Jack Douglas, who produced all the Aerosmith. We met Neil. He had just finished uh, Dawkins' record under lock and key that went platinum. Right. So he came and saw us uh, warm up for Ronnie James Dio in Long Island in this big arena, and um, I met Madonna and... um, uh, Sean Penn, who what a what a couple they were at the time. <laughs> um, and she, to be around. She was uh, she was just skyrocketing then. You know, she just yeah. was getting in the business. She was on Warner Brothers, so we hung out with him in in, in uh, New York, the Village area. And uh, got, I said, man, this guy would be really great for, to produce our second Rough Cut album because he's a songwriter. Because he had said to the guys, you guys should be writing songs that are more Brian Adams' direction because you have a singer that has got that whiskey kind of voice. Mm -hmm. And Brian Adams was just becoming, coming out and being big at that time. And, uh, you know, you got got one guy in the band that's a guitar player that's in Alice Cooper and and Priest, and you got somebody else that's in it somewhere different. So when you're writing a song, everybody... Because of publishing and writing, and uh, uh, instead of choosing what's best for the song, it becomes everybody wants to have a piece of the song. <laughs> I want my part in there. Sure. I want my part in there. Oh. So, you know, you start end up having all these parts in there, and a song is, is just kind of molded together, and it's not really a song, because a song should be something that you can pick up an instrument, a guitar, or you can just sit here, me and you know, we could sing, you know. You yeah, know, right. uh, there are places I remember mm-hmm, right. all my life. Though some has changed. I mean, it's a great song. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can sing it without any music. Ready to go. You know what I mean? So maybe that's how John wrote it. I don't know. Right. You know, but uh, if you can sing stuff in the shower without any music. It's a solid song. It's a solid song. So it's these, the again, it's it's part of the corporate business model getting its hands in there everybody needing a little piece on the on the on the on the dotted line yep taking away from a unified vision so would you say then that uh you are a fan generally speaking of bands and artists that have a more singular vision like i know for myself mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm a big nine Foreigner. inch nails fan and that's basically just trent reznor doing Foreigner his thing. was was uh, uh uh lou graham and um mick Right, okay. Mick Jones. Yeah, they wrote the song, and they just pretty much Stones. The whole thing. Yeah, it's 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 uh, Keith and, J- and Jagger. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, usually it's two people that you know, Mc- Mc- Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, right. all the great songs they wrote. You know, I Waters mean, Waters and so, Gilmore. Yep. Uh, although know. that didn't work out well either. Um, <laughs> but but it takes that unified vision. Yes, and and and, and knowing knowing around, your strengths. And somewhere, yeah, exactly. And somewhere down the line, ego's getting the problem, which yeah, is edging go. God out. So you know that's the acronym for ego, <laughs> as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. And another acronym for poor, or all you poor musicians out there, is passing over opportunity repeatedly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whoa! Uh-huh. You should yeah. write a calendar. The acronym for love is life's only valuable emotion, which is uh, 
It's what I live by. I think we should be able to like get a YouTube clip of Paul every morning, right? Like, yeah. Just click and you can tell us those things. Just remember what's no. going on. Yeah. Get, get, get a new Paul acronym. They're, they're good. That. They're good things to have. With uh, that spa music in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be perfect. You know, you, you, just, you feel like very relaxed, yeah. you know, with the spa music. I love classical music, too. And a lot of rock and roll was actually written from classical music, especially mm-hmm. a lot of Deep Purple stuff. Now, uh, I just want to get all my questions in as we, as we, as we move along here. So uh, if you were on tour, you say you were mature, but did you ever have any encounters with the law? And if so, what about like in other countries? Because that, to me, would be the biggest nightmare. Well, That's when it gets scary, right? the law in another country. Well, actually, um, one of the biggest... Uh, Actually, the funniest things that happened with the law was a rough cut was playing in Dayton, Ohio. Well, the night before, we were in Detroit playing the Cobro Arena with Dio. Our bus had been got uh, hit a, a deer, so oh, so the dear. guys hooked up with some girls, and um, two of the guys in rough cut were in the back seat of the this these girls' car, and they went to the ATM, and then in in Detroit, and they were robbed. So the, the, the guys just, you know, slumped down in the back seat while the girls were robbed. And then <laughs> <laughs> the drummer. Rock and roll. The drummer hooked up with a chick. And um, she. Sorry, uh, I got robbed, baby. Come she, here. She took everybody down uh, to um, to Dayton. And the road manager, me, uh, the guitarist, and his, uh, his tech decided to fly. Well, our, our flight didn't come in. And so uh, we waited all day, and we finally got a flight. And it was the only time that Dio had three acts on the bill, Heaven, Rough Cut, and Dio, at Detroit and Dayton. So there, Heaven's on stage, and we're just trying to get there. And we just get, it. We get there at the last minute. And after the show, we all pack up, and we get headed on our way and we're going to finish the tour in town cars Well, I'm flying about 95 miles an hour and I see these two uh, state troopers sitting there and I zoom by about 90 95 miles uh, an hour and they oof. they come right after us so the road manager sitting next to me and in the back seat is um, the count and uh, his tech whoop and uh, so I'm going for the rest area rest area so i'm now i'm going 100 miles an hour they're gaining us yeah, us, yeah. You know? so as soon as we uh we pull into the rest area i told the road manager get out of the car and go to the bathroom you know because we were rushing to get you to the bathroom right <laughs> yeah. so the cops pull in and i get out of the car and i don't put it in park and it keeps rolling <laughs> oh. <laughs> And it hits like one of those telephone poles in oh those God. rest areas. And the tech know. was still in the car? Tech in, in, in the guitarist <laughs> or in the back, you know? And they're, they're just freaking they're, out. They're eating drugs. Oh, so they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. They're eating anything to get rid of it because oh, we're, the cops we're, are we're, we're going right. to jail. The cops are coming. So the cops, the cop says to me, uh, and then I reach back in and I put it in the park. And uh, <laughs> I says, "You're not going to believe this. We hit a deer, a dove. I mean, a, a dove. A, I mean, a deer. And we uh, we just played uh, the Dayton uh, um, uh, Arena, O'Hara Arena. And he goes, "Oh, my daughter was there." Do you guys have any pictures? So we signed some pictures, and then he says, "Now for the bad news, you got to either come with us to see the judge, go to jail, or pay for the ticket." 
I said, we'll pay for the ticket. So we all scrounge around for our, our money and the road manager, and we don't have enough money for the ticket. And the only guy that's got a credit card is the roadie. So <laughs> he gives us his credit card. We write, you know, we scratch out the ticket, and boom, we're gone. And they say, hey, I have a great time. I got to keep this, uh, the high. But we would, they would have put us away forever. So, <laughs> so that was one of my funniest stories. And then uh, another one was when I, we were in Canada. They flew me in, and uh, all my paperwork was on the bus coming into the border. So when I got to uh, Quebec, uh, customs went through me like a fine tooth comb and they saw on the, com- you know, on, on their computer that I had something that was sealed. So I knew I had two things sealed until uh, a certain time period was when I got busted for pot mm-hmm. with my dad. Mm-hmm. Cause you were a minor. I was a minor. Yep. And another time when I had stolen cheese to make tacos. <laughs> Now, if that's not a euphemism for something, I don't know what I, is. I, I, we had we had bought the tomatoes, the shells, the meat. We didn't have we didn't have the cheese, so I scream across the store, "What kind of cheese do we need?" And of course, the uh, you know the shoplifting officer that was you know just going heard through the, the store heard me. So as we pay for everything and we get outside. They uh, they go come here you they couldn't oh, find boy. the cheese I had, I had it tucked away in my cheeks they couldn't find that cheese if they had to it was from under cheese so so still there just give exactly. me a few minutes I'll find that yeah, cheese that's right Sammy you you're not hiding anything from me pal that's my kind of taco <laughs> so anyways I told them that. Um, I, I, I told him, I says, it's probably a sealed record of when I had shoplifted <laughs> cheese. cheese. <laughs> it, was a, it was a felony at, at a, a, over a buck. It was a dollar oh fifty-four my God. for the cheese. <laughs> Cost me 50 bucks. My, mo- my mother walked through a sliding glass door because I was in jail. And she was okay through it, uh, but um, luckily. And uh, what a way to, you know, learn... The hard way, but when you're when you're a starving musician, you know you do things that you're not proud of. And uh, so I figured, cheese. I figured, you know, seeing how they've already searched me for drugs, I don't want to say that I was busted for pot. You know? Right. Mm. So I said, well, the only other thing that I can think of it is being when I got arrested for stealing cheese, and then they let me go. They had me there for six hours <laughs> because who would make that up? So <laughs> right. And so we're touring now. We're touring Canada, and we're way up north into the French area, right? And uh, uh, it's snowing like cats and dogs, and I get out of the bus to take a dump. So I go into the woman's head because I looked into the men's head, and there would be no way a man would go in there. <laughs> <laughs> All I have on is a slippers, jammies, bottoms, and a uh, or sweats and a tank top. And it's snowing, so it's not cold. It's snowing so much. It's it's snowing so much. It's like that crash bandicoot, you know, when the bear's running. Yeah. And then and and, and it covers up his footsteps mm-hmm. as he's running, you know. <laughs> so strong. That, yeah. that, that's that, how that's, that's how strong it's snowing, right? 
So I, I grab my inquirer and I go into the women's bathroom and I sit down on the throne and I'm going to just enjoy now after a nice big cup of coffee, a morning rump, mm-hmm. you know, movement time. And so I'm sitting there and I hear, I said, no way. <laughs> they left me. <laughs> They left me. Did just slippers and sweats? Uh, slippers, sweats, and a T-shirt, and I didn't even wipe. I freaking ran out of there, left my inquirer, <laughs> and I ran about three miles, three miles to catch him. And up there, it's probably kilometers. But, <laughs> uh, but I, they only, I, the only way I caught him is because they stopped, for, they stopped to get something to eat. And I came in, and I was drenched because from the snow. And thank God it wasn't cold. Right. right. You know, and I said, please, you know, check the bunks. You know, make sure everybody's on board. Well, we checked uh, the bathroom. And I said, yeah, but that, yeah, you, like you see you that bathroom? And it looked like Vietnam. And just, you know, a guy, <laughs> it looked like a guy went in there with a scud. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, toilet was backed up. I said, <laughs> unsanitary from the word go. Oof. Oh, man. So, but that, that, uh, those two stories. And then recently I was, uh, I took a couple weeks off from uh, the raiding the rock vault and went to Spain to tour. And it was my birthday. And uh, I uh, heard that we were going to have an extra day off in Madrid. So I went in after the show, took a, uh, this was a show with this guy named Javier Vargas that I was touring with the Carmine of Peace with. And um, so I took a bath after the show and went to bed nude. And I put these glasses on because I was reading, because there's prescription sunglasses, and I'm reading and I fell asleep with them on. Well, in the middle of the night, I woke up to take a leak and walked right out into the hallway and the door shut behind me. (laughs) Standing there naked. (laughs) And now I'm thinking, where can I pee? (laughs) I'm not only naked, I'm dancing around naked. And I look at sunglasses. And I look at the end of the hall. I can't see without them. I look at the end of the hall and there's a trash can there. So I run over there and I pee inside the trash can. And now I gotta go down three flights in a glass elevator. <laughs> totally nude. The guy I I get to the lobby and I just reach out and, and I wave at him and I had I had my glasses on sure, when I yeah, checked yeah, yeah. in. So he recognized, so he recognized yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. And he came over and he covered his eyes. I said, it ain't nothing you haven't seen before, buddy. Could be a little or, littler or bigger. I don't know. But you know, fits me, I tell you that. My wife's no. happy with it. <laughs> so I got a card, and that was the last time I ever went to bed naked on the road. I'll tell you that. Good idea. Smart words, smart words. Willy Wonka and the yeah. glass elevator. Oh, whole yeah. another Willy. Whole other Willy, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Great stories. Paul, I want to thank you for coming in. Paul Shortino coming into the Ice Cream uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks so, for being here. Uh, Rock Vault, how often are you there? Uh, Friday through Tuesday. Friday through Tuesday at the Westgate. Yes, a resort and casino. And it's an 8 o'clock show. 8 o'clock show. And uh, who's doing the show right now? Uh well, Doug Aldridge just left for a couple weeks, so Doug Aldridge is in the show uh, from White Snake. Howard okay. Lee's from Heart. Uh, Stephanie Calvert from uh, Starship. Also, Carol Lynn. Both those girls um, interchange. You know, okay. we get one one week, one another week. Sometimes, 
two weeks. It all depends on their schedules. Uh, and uh, Jay Schillen from Asia and Badfinger and uh, Hurricane. Uh, Michael T. Ross on keyboards from uh, the Lita Ford Band and also Missing Persons. And then uh, uh, Robin McCauley on uh, vocals from uh, the Michael Shanker Band or McCauley Shanker Band and um, also Survivor. He was in Survivor. Unfortunately, Jamie Jameson passed away yeah, yesterday. Very sad. Saw that. Very yeah, very sad. And, so sad uh, to hear about that. And uh, I'm hoping I'm not missing anyone. Yes, Hugh McDonald from the uh, Bon Jovi band. Nice. Very nice. So oh, Andrew. Of, Andrew Freeman. Oh, Andrew Freeman. That's right. Jay Schillen on the drums. I said Jay, yeah, drums. And also, um, um, we've got right now, we've got Jason Boylson filling in for um, uh, uh, Doug Aldridge. And uh, of all those people, how do they compare to working with Jacob's wife backstage? How does that uh, how does that work out? <laughs> well, we we love Sarah. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> she is she is uh, very very talented and a very sweet girl. Actually, everybody gets along really well. Good. It's really it's really good. Um, um, you guys try and keep a family vibe, kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're doing what you love. You're playing. And, music. I, and I'm also a rock and roll minister. Yeah. I can marry people here in the state of Nevada and bury them. Very Whoa. cool. And baptize them, I think. All at the I will, same time. I will have you do all three for me, Paul. Yeah. Have you guys done a rock wedding on I the rock actually, vault stage? No, we did it at the um, – uh, these, these, this couple came uh, to a, a meet and greet a week ago. A week ago today. It's, yeah. Today's Monday, right? Mm-hmm. No, Tuesday. No. Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. Uh, it was a week ago. Yeah, it was a week ago yesterday. And um, anyways, they uh, were having their 25th anniversary on Tuesday. So I asked the hotel if I could renew their vows over there. So they gave them a video and um, oh wow, dozen roses on their 25th anniversary day. So very cool. That was my first. That was my uh, first uh, experience as a as the uh, rock and roll. Nice. Vicar or minister, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. The me. dirty vicar of rock. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. So, yeah, uh, have yourself get married in Guys. the church of rock and roll. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. will marry you. Yes, I will marry you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming in, man. Great stories. Uh, love having you. I'd love to come back, so please invite me back. You got it. Absolutely. It's been an awesome time here with Matt and Paul. Cool. And Jacob. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Uh, Thank you, Paul. And uh, and, uh, I want to thank Jacob, our audio guy. I want to thank the Inspired Theater for giving us a place to record. I want to thank Ace Munz, who's got a fine illustration of you going up, by the way. Oh, awesome. Really great artwork. Uh, Tony Longworth, our UK music bitch. And... uh, of course, Pendulette for helping us get this thing going in the first place. Exactly, yeah. So thanks a lot, and thanks, of course, to all you listeners. Uh, hope you enjoy the show. Be subscribing. Tell your friends. And, keep uh, sending the scoop mail. Thanks so much for all your support, tweets, and everything. You got it. Uh, you can follow Paul on Twitter if you want, at the famous Paul. You can follow Matt at Sweet Matty D. And, uh, and you can go to my website, paulshortino.com, oh. and you can get some of my uh, uh, solo stuff and some other things that I've done. Awesome. Cool. I'll I'll check out paulshortino.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was the Ice Cream Social.